Well, good morning to each one and God bless you. God bless us as we're here together. We greet you in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. So thankful for another opportunity to worship and what it does uh, for me and I trust for you spiritually as well. Uh, it's God's plan that we do this. The scripture is clear on that. For message this morning, I've titled the message, The Simplicity of the Gospel. My concern in this message is that we keep the gospel simple. And um, I may have preached in this message here before. If I did, I really don't make any apologies for it because uh, I just think it's important that we... Uh, we uh, lift up the gospel and we present a gospel that's not complex and that it's not, you know, something that's difficult to understand. And I hope as we go through the message that uh, you can capture that with me. Going to be uh, using the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians for opening scripture. Thank you, Jacob. Just a, uh, using Paul's words here in uh, some of the, some of his words here in the first Corinthians chapter one, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Had not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, in... Uh, the second chapter, just reading a few verses in, in uh, the second chapter. Beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I appreciate those verses so much. And um, if you're here this morning and you're uh, looking for polished speech, uh, someone with... Uh, Degrees in theology and, uh, yeah, um, a lot of uh, credentials. Um, you're at the wrong place. Um, 
just simply want to share what uh, uh, God has uh, laid on my heart here in regards to the simplicity of the gospel. And I fully embrace what Paul says here in the second chapter, verse 2, that verse always uh, is so captivating and outstanding to me when he says, for I determined not to know anything but Christ and him crucified. That's my desire in this morning and all of my preaching and our gathering that we know nothing but Christ and him crucified. In other words, that we bring everything back. Everything is taken from that point in our life and our experience. And as brethren in the Lord, that it's from that point that we take everything, Christ and him crucified, that he would stand out in our lives. Well, so much for the scripture there in in uh, Corinthians. A key text verse that I would like for uh, for us this morning as I think of the simplicity of the gospel is the text there in uh, John 14. The key text there in, um, just give that as a key text. And this is the text where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now the contemporary English version says, without me no one can go to the Father. And so, you know, in that perimeter, there's nothing, there's no salvation outside of that. And and Jesus said that in regards to uh, uh, Thomas had asked him, uh, you know, they were being troubled there when Jesus was speaking about his taking their leave. Speaking to them about him taking their leave. Of him taking his leave. And uh, they were troubled by that. And, uh, and I suppose in the expression that Thomas gave there when he said, well, where are you going to go? And what are you going to do? And I think he was probably saying, well, what are we going to do now? If, if you were to leave us... What are we going to do? How, how are we going to know how to go on in life? How are we going to know the way? How do we know, you know, yeah. And that's a question I believe that plagues humanity today yet. That, you know, we want direction for life. Wherever I'm at in life, wherever you're in life, uh, what, you know, how am I going to know how to go on from here? What, what's God's will for me? And so Jesus just gave him these simple words. He, he had said, he said, Thomas, have I been so long with you and you don't know? And uh, I believe Jesus, his preaching and his teaching was very simple. And yet we understand that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. And um, so they were in for a real learning curve, of course, as far as the spiritual things. But that's when he went on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, outside of that perimeter, as we think of the simplicity of the gospel, outside of that perimeter, there's, there's nothing else. There's no other way. And Peter, I believe it's Peter there in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, I think it was, when uh, we have the account there, I mean, Peter had preached there his, uh, his great message there at the, uh, in, uh, at Pentecost. And, uh, but then later on, 
the scribes and the rulers, uh, they had gathered, they, they, they caught Peter and some of the others and they set them in their midst. Why are you doing this? And they said, why are you preaching like this? And uh, Peter confirms the same thing. He said, uh, uh, he said that uh, this same, Je- well, that's not where he said this same Jesus. Let me see what he said, how, how he words that exactly. Um, but he, he's a, he gives the confirmation of that same scripture of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Um, yeah, the ver- what I wanted was in verse 12 of Acts chapter 4, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. See, he's saying the same thing. Outside of that perimeter that Jesus gave, the way, the truth, and the life, and Peter confirms it here when he says, there's no, there's, there isn't salvation. There's no other way. There, there's outside of that. And you know, man has tried many, many times ever since the beginning of time to get next to God and get close to God and find the way to God. And especially... Probably in this dispensation, since the uh, the birth of the church there at Jerusalem, they've tried to 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 find their way and maybe make their way and decide, you know, this is the way and that's the way and to get to God. But uh, beloved, this morning I hope we're persuaded and we stand on that. It's very simple that there is no other way. The way. The truth and the life. You want to know how to get to God? You want to know how to reach the <clears throat> eternity, the, the portals of heaven? As we say, outside of Jesus Christ, there's, there's no other way. That's just, there's no other way. Man can try to do what he wants and so forth. But outside of that, there is no other way. And it's a simple message. I think of keeping the message simple. I'm going to try to do that in the message this morning. The simplicity of the gospel. Someone has said the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply beautiful and beautifully simple. You get that? I think it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simply beautiful and beautifully simple. It doesn't take, you know, a lot of degrees or anything. Like that. <clears throat> in Matthew 11, chapter 11, um, Jesus was, was uh, preaching. Uh, he had preached in a number of cities there. In, uh, and um, lots, of, lots of people listened to him. There was multitudes of people from, from um, um, different areas as he had preached in different cities. And... Um, they would listen to this man, but they really wouldn't hear him. There is a difference. We can listen to preaching or the gospel or anything, and yet not hear. We understand that. That's why it says in Revelations, as it does, each one of those, the message to the seven churches, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's very possible that we can listen. In fact, I... I heard many, many messages uh, in my growing up years. And before I came to the Lord, I had heard them, listened to them, but I didn't really hear them. Actually, when I was converted, I had very little knowledge of the Bible, other than 
you know, I, I'd heard it read, heard it preached, and so forth. So it's it's the difference is as as the uh, there's a reason that Revelations tells us, "He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." You can sit here this morning through this service and many other services, sit through a lifetime of services. Maybe listen to the word being preached, but are you really hearing? That's the difference. The gospel is simple. And uh, so this is what Jesus, get my point here in Matthew 11 is when Jesus had, uh, had uh, he had preached so many times and he preached things concerning the kingdom. In verse 20 of chapter 11, it says he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Understand? As simple as his preaching was, as simple as the gospel was, and all the time that people had spent listening to this man, they really did not hear his message. He said, Woe unto Chorazin, woe unto Bethsaida, for if the mighty works were done in you that had been in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And that Capernaum which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And then the verse that I wanted here is verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto the ba- unto babes. I trust this morning when it comes to hearing the word of God, that's where we find ourselves. We're babes. You know, we may have heard and we have many, many times heard the gospel and read it. But, or listened to it, but are we really hearing it? In this verse here, the um, contemporary English version gives it this way. Translates it this way, it says, My Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I am grateful that you hid all this from the wise and educated people and showed it to ordinary people. And I say amen to that this morning. Um, you know, I don't have any degrees or anything that I can show you in anything. So, you know, it doesn't take a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD, doctor philosophy uh, to understand the gospel. Actually, I think... And this is just my opinion. I think that that's often a hindrance. Uh, someone that's really educated, someone that has all the degrees, maybe that whether you're associate, bachelor, master's, PhD, or whatever, I think those things can actually be a real hindrance. Because when you spend all that time seeking education, after all, it does something to you. I'm not saying everyone. But when you have all those credentials, those things tend to become between you and the simple gospel message. I just believe they do. They tend to come between between you there. So, <clears throat> First Corinthians, and I would use First Corinthians eight verse one as a confirmation of what I'm saying, where it says, "Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth." Now, knowledge doesn't have to puff up. I will say that. But it often does. It often does. Someone that has, for years and years, maybe had positions, whether whether they're, uh, uh, you know, been uh, um, church positions or whatever, 
the tendency is to be puffed up by those things, or at least put some weight on those things. And uh, I think I've said this before one time. I heard this account once of when someone said, supposedly a younger child said to someone that, ask, just ask them the simple question, if they're born again. And the person's answer was that they have for many, many years, they've been teachers and did this and that. And the answer came back, I wouldn't let a simple thing like that keep me from being born again. So you see, those things can get between us and the simplicity of the gospel. And so, getting back to my concern this morning, is uh, I would say in the maze of religious confusion, in the complexity of the church age that we find ourselves in, that we don't lose the simple message of salvation that the gospel has to offer us this morning. And I think of the words that Jesus spoke there, that he prayed there in his prayer in John 17, when he said, well, <clears throat> let me just make a comment on what I, the terms I used there, the maze of religious confusion, the complexity of the church age. Those are terms that we refer to as man. I don't, they, they are not conditions. They're, well, let me put it this way. Those are conditions. If we find ourselves, if we find that those kind of a conditions, and, and that's how we experience, that's our experience. Let me tell you something. It is not God who has created those kind of conditions, but rather it's us as man because of who we are and how we tend to, uh, yeah, well, you can, you could have, you can say a lot of things about that. Those, those are not things that God has created. Religious confusion, complexity of churches. That's not from God. Those are conditions that man has created. Now, and I think that in, in the prayer that Jesus prayed there in John 17, I'm always touched by the, uh, the uh, request or the prayer that he prayed there when he said, Father, I would that they all be one, even as we are one. I in thee and thou in me, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And it's a big stumbling block. I remember some years ago, this was in Kentucky, I was talking to a man one day about uh, the things of God, things pertaining to the kingdom. And he was not a Christian, but he was open to talk. And then he said to me, he said, Leroy, let me tell you something. He said, we have all these churches, just all the denominations of churches. And he said, they all say they're right. So who is right, he's saying. Well, that's sad, but let's not get drug into that cloud of smoke. The gospel message is simple. It doesn't matter what man has created by way of complexity, but the gospel message is simple. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. And let's stay with that. Let's stay with when, what Paul said. And that's where why the, the uh, scripture there is so precious in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul said, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's stay with that. You know, the church at Corinth had a lot of things to work through. They had their issues and things to work through. And, you know, they were divided. You know, one said he was Paul and one was Apollos and so forth. But Paul said, when I come, he said, I'm, I'm, good. I'm determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I challenge any of us, you stay with that. That's the basis. You stay with that. 
When people want to discuss this and that and all the church lines. You see there in John chapter 4, the woman at Jacob's well, she was typical of, of what people want to do. When Jesus told her that it, if you would have asked me, I would have given you that living water. Well, then she began to be wanted to become religious, too. She said, well, our fathers say that uh, the mountain here in Samaria, the Samaritan, that's the way of the place to worship. You say it's Jerusalem. You ever notice how Jesus brought, brought her right back to the gospel message? He said, woman, the hour coming now is it's it's not whether you're a Samaritan or whether you're the Jew Jerusalem, he said, that's not what's going to count. He said, it's God seeketh people to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him and um, must worship him in spirit and truth. So this morning, Alan, even though maybe you think Africa is a pretty good place to worship, let me tell you something. It's not in Africa or Chade Mountain. That's not what's going to make the difference or whoever you are here today. But it's where you're, where, what you worship. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior and that he is the way, you see him as the way, the truth and the life. Let the rest of the smoke go. You don't have to be involved in all that smoke. But you determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because within that perimeter, that's the only answer in the way that you and I will ever obtain eternal life. You and I will ever get to the gates, the glories of heaven. So this morning, I have a question for us here. When someone asks you, what do you believe or what are you? Uh, by way of religion and denomination and etc. Uh, what do you answer? I'd like to hear some answers. What do you, what do, you do when someone asks you? Well, I think I'll call Daniel and see what I should say. What I say? No, I said I. You know, everybody's quiet. We don't know what this. We don't know what kind of an answer to give. So I guess we have to call you, Daniel, and see what what should we say. But yeah. My profession is that I believe in Jesus. I follow Him. But yeah, but you're a Mennonite and you're a Beecher or whatever. All where where does that all play in? Kind of after the fact. Oh, I see. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, you know, the fact is here in central Pennsylvania, where we have all these churches, I always, I refer to it sometimes as buffet-style Christianity. And please, I want to be charitable when I say that. You don't face that as much. But when we moved in northeast Kentucky back in 1981, the people there did not know who Mennonites or Amish were. They, they had very little knowledge they didn't know we were strangers and they, they were trying to they took you know they were try they tried to figure us out who we are and what we believe i remember one day offering someone a gospel tract and he looked at me and he said are you jehovah's witness I said no then i'll take it he said you know well you see that's the thing that's the thing that's what people think they want to know where you're at and what you know so but i believe that whether you're in central pennsylvania or in africa you may face more of that in Africa too, Alan. I know you do, in, but you get away from some of the broader circles of Mennoniteism, if I may use that, or conservative churches and get out into areas where people have never been exposed to us, to our kind of people and who we are. They're going to have questions. They have questions, and rightfully so. 
And that's what makes it challenging. So when we sat in an area like we are today, here, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's probably not near as challenging in some areas than it is in, you know, when it, when you get outside of the circles, because people don't know. And um, so, you know, we can say, well, I'll show you the church constitution. I'll give you, here's the brotherhood agreement and so forth. Is that is that where we begin when people ask who we are? I hope not. No, yes, I realize we need, uh, we need, uh, we have, I say we need, we have terms of identification. Uh, my answer has been something like this. I'm not sure it was always the same when people would ask, well, who are you? What do you believe? Well, you know, uh, some people call us Mennonite. Some people call us, well, we were basically Amish even in northeast Kentucky because they had they didn't know. They just heard, they read about these Amish and said, well, that's probably who we were. But I always like to make very clear at the what the very core of our faith and belief is. That salvation is alone. It's only to be found in Jesus Christ. And the merit of his shed blood. Outside of that, there is no salvation. Now, you can call me a Mennonite or a Beachy if that. Yeah, we have terms of identification. But that's not really what counts. You need to have a better answer than that, if I may say. So you need to have a better answer. You need to, you need to tell them. Well, I'd like to bring it just a little closer home. And I think of keeping the gospel simple. So here we are. We're beaches, Amish, Mennonites, or whatever, all our backgrounds, so forth. So now in the church age, I mentioned about, I used the term, the complexity of the church age. And I, and again, I want to make it very clear. I believe it's us who have created that. Those things are not from God. So here we are. And I admit, I like to know, you know, what, what constituents here, where's your lines of fellowship and so forth. I think God has helped me a lot in years over that. But that's still, that was just always been kind of a part of it. So here's one for us, a little more clear. So, so, uh, someone asks you, uh, what's your lines of fellowship? What, what umbrella, what church constituency do you come under? What, what do you say? You know, it depends who it is. You like to, oh, well, I'm here, I'm a beach here, I'm a Mennonite or whatever. But really? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we grapple with that. Uh, in the church age, that it, it, we need to think and pray and seek the Lord's face and how to relate to those things. When I mentioned about the complexity of the church age, it really is. You need to think about those things and pray about those things and how, what is the, what is the rightful scripture answer that you should give? When people try to pinpoint you, where do you draw the lines of fellowship? And who do you fellowship with? And where? It's not always an easy answer. I don't think it is. But I believe there's biblical answers that we can give. I'm going to give you an example. This was some years ago again too, but I never forgot this incident. There was two brothers, brother, two Christians, the one, and I'm going to be bold enough to say, was somewhat contentious. And he was challenging the other one about, where's your line of church fellowships? And well, you know, and 
so forth. And the other one, if you would know the man, you would understand. And I'm not going to re- not going to expose him, but it's not easy to back that man into a corner. I'll say that. And so he just, the other one kept hammering away at him because he thought he should be drawing more specific lines and this is where you should be and you shouldn't have anything to do with in there, with this group and that group and so forth. Finally, he looked at him and said, well, who do you fellowship with anyways? You know what he said? He gave such a good answer. He said, all of God's people. I think that is just a beautiful answer. Who do we fellowship with at Shade Mountain? Oh, you know, we have the beaches here and this this is in the you know, we should have a better answer. We fellowship God's people fellowship with God's people, don't they? All of God's people. Now I realize that's maybe it sounds pretty general and you could, you know, open up a whole can of worms. But I think that's a good answer. Someone tries to corner you and and uh, you know, tries to put you in this little box or whatever. We fellowship with all of God's people, don't we? I do, and I trust you do too. I realize that there's a big variance. But let me tell you, what about the scripture there that, I think it was John actually, that came to Jesus and he said, Hey, Master, we saw one out there and he was casting out devils and we told him to stop because he didn't follow with us. And we identify with that. You know, we, we're kind of the we're kind of the ones anyways. We're we're the group. So anyone that doesn't fall in line where we are, why yeah, we kind of look down our nose with it. I say we 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 may now the all that what I'm saying is is we can we can do that. I trust that I trust that we have be, that better things from us than doing that. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus simply said, he that is not against us is with us. Jesus said, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is with us. Making application to that, I'm just going to put it in my own words. There are many, I believe there's many groups, maybe many churches in the church aid. And I, maybe I should just say I, but I think you say, we recognize that there's groups that he followeth not with us. We recognize that. But I believe that we do well to contend ourselves with the answer that Jesus gave. He that is not with us is not against us. And I believe we do well to just contend ourselves with that answer. I think that's a beautiful example. We recognize that there's groups that don't follow with us. We understand that. But if they're not against us, if they're not against, Jesus said, if they're not against the gospel, let them alone. So, I don't know. That makes sense with you. You can correct me in the testimony time. Welcome to do that. The simplicity of the gospel, the goal of a simple gospel, the people of God is to bring souls into the kingdom, bring them into the church. Not be out competing with each other. I'm trying to say we have the best program to offer. We have this or that. Um, keeping the gospel simple. I believe it's so important that we remember the basic truths that are elementary in the salvation experience. 
And I refer to Paul's preaching there in Acts 20. If you you note that we just got through that in our Sunday school, uh, I'm not sure if we spent much time on it or not. But the content of Paul's message there, you'll find that in Acts 20, verse 21. Paul's preaching, and he and, and, and he brought it to their attention. This is what I preached. He said, "Repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." Two basic points that are elementary. In our experience. It's, it was simple. I don't think Paul preached a complicated message. Um, I believe that he, you know, his message you remind that was, was simple. Repentance. As a part of the Christian life. As a part of my experience. And your experience. It's an attitude that I believe. Needs to remain with me. The rest of my life. Maybe not, I'm not referring to maybe as the initial experience was of repentance when I first came to the Lord. But I tell you, there's, 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 uh, I think there's few things that are more beautiful in the life of a saint that has maybe walked many years with God. And if he's called or criticized or critiqued about something in their life that they just humbly bow their heads and they accept it. I think that is so beautiful. And we should never be at the point where, you know, maybe we feel that even uh, the criticism or whatever it may be is, um, we would like to vindicate ourselves. We think it's not just. Listen, God will take care of those things. As we relate to each other's brethren, let's just humbly accept if someone feels that there's something in our life. That's what I'm saying to repentance. Well, you may think I've repented back there initially. Well, we have. But I believe when the attitude of repentance is lost in a Christian's life, I think, and I'm just sharing, my, I think Christian growth stops. I just believe it does. And then faith. Remember, the content of Paul's preaching was repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. We repent and then we our faith is placed on something solid, something that will not let us down. Faith in, the, in God and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the atonement and the merit of the shed blood that Jesus died for our sins. We need to have daily renewals of those things in our lives. Those things are elementary, and I think that we need to keep that lest we lose the simplicity of the gospel. Faith that God will make a way, however difficult life may be, however difficult the situation and circumstances that I find myself in. A life of faith is very different from taking our own way, planning our own path, Keep the gospel simple and keep it simple. And I'm referring to John chapter 3 now. That account is so familiar and there's so much in that that we probably missed some points. But I would just like to say one thing about the discourse that Jesus had there with Nicodemus. There's a lot of things could be said. But when Jesus told Nicodemus about being born again and spoke to him, Things concerning the kingdom. Nicodemus said, well, how can these things be? 
But the point I'm at is the answer that Jesus gave him. Jesus said, art thou a master in Israel and you don't know those things? Wasn't that a loaded question? You know, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a doctor of the law, probably. And Jesus spoke to him about spiritual things. And Nicodemus was just humble enough to admit that, you know, he doesn't really understand. And Jesus said, are you... You're a master in Israel and you don't know those things? You see, that again goes back to keeping the gospel simple. You know, you know, we can have an appreciation for theology and maybe the- theologians. We might refer to different theologians and uh, uh, probably might, might find it kind of impressive. You know, we'll say uh, certain theologians said this and that and so forth. Really? That's okay, I guess, in its rightful place. But let's never be uh, impressed with uh, theologians and, and those kind of, and someone that has a degree in theology and so forth, beyond the simplicity of the gospel. You don't need that. I mean, that's, those things can often be a, a deterrent or a, a hindrance in that. And so, you know, I, I think in a sense that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. He said, you mean you're, you're a master in Israel? I mean, Nicodemus was probably well-versed in, in the Old Testament and so forth. And, and he said, you don't understand these things. You know, there's probably, probably people today. Maybe I, maybe I need to be told that. You don't understand that? You know, this thing is simple. So, Okay. All right, just. Uh, another point here that I'd like to just bring to our attention again in keeping the gospel simple, let's keep in mind that the gospel is compatible to all people. To all people and of all times, all nations and places. There is never a time or a place that the gospel is too complicated to make application. I would guess Alan and some of us who have been in, in um, spend time in third world countries, as we call them. Um, we've had some eye openers. We understand that uh, that, for example, you can't just uh, you know when Alan and I excuse me for picking on you all. I, I don't mean I'm just trying to make a point. But when you and Rhoda left here, we didn't load you up with a lot of Shade Mountain uh, Brotherhood agreements. Said you take these over and you make sure or you distribute those out. But you know sometimes people do that, and and you know we add to the gospel. We can add to the gospel a gospel that's simple, that's compatible, and to every culture. But maybe maybe the things that we have here don't exactly necessarily fit. I could think of a number of things. Well, maybe I'll just give you one example. Uh, and it's kind of amusing, but, you know, um, I know there was this one constituency, and it was a strong Mennonite constituency. And I'm not, by saying that, I'm not using that as a derogatory term. But... So their, their, their brotherhood agreement, that's part of the gospel, you know, is that uh, 
the ladies uh, do not wear hosiery that's skin colored or the color of their skins. Yeah, it's good, works good here, doesn't it? So we go to Africa and all of a sudden we don't wear hosiery that's the color of the skin. Do you get the point? How does that work? Or the church in California that, you know, their home base was black vehicles, shiny black vehicles, too. They didn't look like they were run up and down Kinley's Road, and I'll say that carefully. But so do you, but do you realize that, that a parking lot full of shiny black vehicles in California may signify something different than it does here in central Pennsylvania? That's all I'll say that. So let's keep the gospel simple. When I say it's compatible wherever we go. So I guess what what my point is that we be careful lest we lest we begin to lift up a does it sound right to say a cultured gospel? Or a gospel that that uh, we've uh, we've made to fit our culture. Um, we need to be we need to consider carefully what we show and how we display the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel after man's tradition is good if the traditions are good, and if they're scriptural. But we're to shape, I believe as Christians, we are to shape and change our life to fit the gospel, not the gospel to fit our culture. Again, I think, um, I believe Alan could bear testimony to that, and many others could too. Colossians 2.8, Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Philosophy, we know what that is, human ideas and sets of reasoning and so forth. And main deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And then we have the scripture there in Second Corinthians eleven, verse three. Paul wrote to them, and he said, "But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through the his through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." I will just say in closing, any religion, any gospel that lifts anything higher than Christ and him crucified, like refer back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we determine to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Any religion, any belief, any gospel that does not have Jesus Christ as the absolute center and foundation is only a partial gospel, if that's even a correct term to use. Colossians 3, 10 and 11. Paul simply said, We have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In verse 11, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You want to keep the gospel simple? Keep Jesus Christ first. He is the center. People want to know what you believe. You tell them Jesus Christ. I remember a brother some years ago. This 
one more thing. There was some proselyters, or whatever you want to call them, I could tell you who they were, but came to their house. Well, he kept coming back to Jesus. They wanted to discuss what they believed, but he kept coming back to Jesus. Finally, the one looked at the other and said, this man is a Jesus man. We might as well go. What a testimony. Let's kneel for prayer.